0: Good morning, and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz. NFL Week 18 and the regular season have officially concluded today as we are recording. Black Monday is taking place, and just tons to cover across the league landscape. I'm Jackson Roberts, joined by Kale Clinton. Cale, so much to discuss today, but good to see you back in your home studio. Hopefully this NFL season has treated you well from start to finish, my friend. How's it going?
1: Going well. Uh, Very lofty name for my bedroom, home studio. I love that. Uh, Very creative. NFL season has treated me well. Uh, Produced a lot of good content. Had an absolute blast uh, making this show with you. Uh, and I'm, It's it feels like it goes by in the blink of an eye, but this season also felt like an eternity. So Tom's <laughs> an a extra extra social construct. It's fine.
0: No, it's cool. And a week added to our schedules, just a, a phenomenal opportunity for us to discuss the good teams that didn't make the playoffs because we had week 18. And we'll get into that in a moment, but I wanted to – update the listeners right now on our show's outline for this week cuz it's going to be a little bit different. You know, we usually do it in more of a we usually talk about our 4321 takeaways, game balls, uniforms and our head scratchers. This week we're going to switch it up. Only in that we're going to talk about our takeaways from yesterday, not necessarily going to be four of them. Then we're going to hop into today Black Monday reactions, talk about all the coaches that got fired and those who did not. And then we're going to do our game balls as usual. We'll probably do a condensed version of those. We'll hop from that into our uniforms once again. Head scratchers at the end there. Had some good ones from yesterday. Then we'll talk playoffs. First round thoughts and gut predictions for the entire playoff picture. And then we're just going to do a quick little wrap up at the end. We're going to talk about awards as they are regular season awards and the regular season has just concluded. So lots to get through today. Excited to have you all with us, Kale. Let's hop right into things. First off, what did you think of the action on the field yesterday? What jumped out at you?
1: With the sheer number of upsets and just the pure chaos that ensued on Sunday, uh, my biggest takeaway is we had the perfect playoffs in week 17. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a real takeaway or not, but I, I don't want to watch Pittsburgh play at all in the in like I can make me not wanting to watch Pittsburgh play uh its own takeaway. Uh its own I did podcast. Not, yeah, its own podcast even. Uh I did not enjoy that Baltimore Ravens game. That was a slog. Uh the Raiders also playing uh I mean that was a crazy Sunday night football game but just I we we had it so perfectly set up. I feel like the AFC side of this bracket has gotten a lot worse just because you know indy couldn't somehow hold their own against the jacksonville jaguars and whatever happened in vegas transpired now we don't get to watch
0: justin herbert playing the playoffs well i'm sorry to report it it stays in vegas so we can't talk about it we just it does say,
1: yeah. it mm-hmm. does it do be doing that <laughs> yeah the biggest the most upsetting thing for me just comes out of that jacksonville thing. uh that Indianapolis losing throws a wrench in a lot of this. Like it was really interesting to hear Frank Reich talk today because a lot of times we would hear coaches of Reich's ilk and caliber coach speak any dissuasion away uh, from, you know, any decision-making elements of the game and you'd probably get a, either a nebulous answer or some kind of vote of confidence in favor of Carson Wentz after a game like that. And there was none of that. It was, I don't evaluate players at the individual level at this point. I evaluate the group as a whole. And that's a, that's a pretty damning piece of evidence for Carson Wentz and the Colts at large, just paying up that first round pick to take a guy
0: that single-handedly dragged you out of the playoffs. And watching the Eagles go right into the playoffs in their stead with a younger, cheaper quarterback in his place. I mean, it's Wentz's last couple games between two chances to make the playoffs. He had under a 60% completion percentage. He had two touchdowns, one interception, two fumbles, and a grand total Of seven sacks. So, I mean, this is – and the stats don't even really tell the full story just based on all the drives that stalled out on them when they had a chance to go down and and get themselves back into these games. Uh, Yesterday, one of the worst quarterback performances I saw all season, I don't think that's hyperbole. And you go down 13-3 at the half on the road in Jacksonville. You come out to start the second half and your possessions go fumble. Near interception that turns into a punt. And then another interception. I mean, that's your season right there, boiled down to those three drives. And I don't even want to say he didn't get the job done. He actively held them back with all other things in place. So I don't know what you do heading into this off season if you're in Indianapolis, because I mean, you're kind of tied down to the guy and I don't think we think all that highly of this quarterback class anyway, to come in and do things right away. They obviously have a great roster, Nobody wanted to see them in the AFC playoffs out of all those potential wild card teams, but here they are outside looking in, and I don't think they have a clear picture for the future either.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Colts do get out with Carson Wentz uh, after 2022, but you're still paying Carson Wentz $28 million next year. Like, you're pretty much hamstrung to him unless you can find a way to move him. And at that point, you probably have to attach some sort of pick with him, someone's not outright going, not like or main, like it's not, you know, a bad NBA contract where you're throwing first round picks just for a team to take them, but you're probably getting a worse payout than what you got in for them. Uh, and you're asking team to take on a $28 million contract of a, of a roller coaster of a quarterback. So it's just going to be tough to manage. Are you starting, I don't realize he's turning 30 next year. That's crazy. That's <laughs> Crazy. Uh, it still feels like he's a pretty young guy, but I mean, man, that's, that's pretty surprising to me. Uh, but yeah, this is just a team that no one wanted to face and I get it. doesn't, you know, it's, it's like how you can't blame a bad, uh, you can't blame a bad loss on one play. It's a series of events. It's the same thing with this season. If the Colts don't drop that game to the Raiders, uh, again, mostly off of poor Carson Wentz performance. And his ability to just hit open receivers when in stride instead of overthrow them. Uh, if they're able to do that, this Jacksonville game is not a problem. Uh, and they can coast into the playoffs and they're totally fine. But they didn't get the job done multiple weeks in a row when the task was even easier. They found a way to blow it. So I don't know. Maybe they don't deserve to be in the playoffs, even though they seemed like by far the most threatening underdog anyone that no one wanted to face
0: well that's why we like the sport man it's they were most they they almost definitely were the most threatening but they didn't earn it they had two chances to earn it one of the teams they played against was one of the teams that they were trying to take a playoff spot away from and the other team was a pile of dog feces for 17 weeks and they couldn't beat either of them so regrettably i have to say they didn't earn it and to transition to that other team and, and the other game that I think was of consequence in the AFC last night. I mean, that Raiders game. The rate you can't say the Raiders didn't earn their way in, first of all. And especially after the roller coaster season they had, coach being fired, one of their top weapons up on manslaughter charges. Crazy stuff to be able to come back, win your final four games in a row, finish with the same record as the Patriots and the Bengals even, and earn the five seed. I mean. Not that 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 means we have to believe in them heading into these playoffs, but have to tip our hats a little bit. But diving more into that game last night, I mean, what do you think the difference was? I mean, the words of
1: the late, great John Madden, winning's a great deodorant. Uh, (laughs) Great line from him. Uh, I'm interested in the Raiders to a certain degree. I think just their resilience is its own... It's its own storyline. Derek Carr is really, really impressed. Uh, just his resilience throughout the season, operating with uh, with the loss of Henry Ruggs, with the loss of offensive-minded John Gordon, having the special teams coordinator get brought up as the head coach, losing Darren Waller for most of this year at this point. Like he's he's missed the last third of the season. Uh
0: pretty much factor deal- last night. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Carr had to deal with a lot this year. And he's had guys like Zay Jones step up. Hunter Renfro has really earned to be in some kind of conversation of like a Julian Edelman type, like feisty scrappy wide receivers, uh that you know really get deep in the trenches and can actually like make plays when it matters. Like it's just like an X-Factor type guy, but where your top receivers are Zay Jones, Brian Edwards, Foster Moreau. Like it, it's tough to really get anything going and like cars overcome that pretty significantly. It's been really impressive. And this defensive line also has between Max Crossman, Yannick and Gakwe. Um, I two names about we just
0: haven't mentioned enough this year yeah I text about I, them but they are, they have done a phenomenal job sharpening up that group up front
1: i talked about last week uh in my write-up of raiders colts how they did such an incredible job just controlling the line of scrimmage like they did they really just know how to fill gaps know how to take on blocks like occupy space I mean, the Chargers don't have a fantastic running in to begin with, but, you know, neutralizing Austin Eckler pretty significantly, holding him under 100 total yards on the night, 16 carries and five receptions, 12 targets. They did a damn good job tearing apart a Chargers team that really is made up mostly of stars and nothing else. Especially on the defensive end, they have no depth. This is – I think that has to be – this is a Chargers team that overachieved this year. Uh, I don't think that's even revisionist history to say. Uh, This is – what were the expectations of Rand Staley's first year? It's tough to say. But beyond Derwin James and Joey Bosa and really hitting on a strong rookie in Asante Samuel Jr., uh, this is a weak, weak defensive unit. uh, I I
0: agree to a certain extent, but then you look at the 4-1 and start and the fact that it only took 10 wins to make it to the playoffs, all you had to do from that point forward is go 500. And you already had a win against the chiefs under your belt. So you look down the back half of their schedule. I mean, how many losses can you point to that was the difference, even aside from this one between them making the playoffs and them not doing it. I mean, that Texans one leaps off the page. They got absolutely destroyed by the Ravens back when they still had Lamar, but people forget still about two thirds of that Ravens team was hurt already. A couple others along the way that I'm sure I'm forgetting, even it's it's one of those things where yeah, the expectations were at a certain place at the beginning of the season, but you still feel like they maybe took a step back mid season. And I don't think there's any like injuries or material changes you can point to that really made that happen. It's just they they overachieved for a few weeks and then came back to their level. And I don't think that's something that you can necessarily take solace into heading into the offseason.
1: I don't think it's something to you know, hang your head about either, Uh, you know.
0: Well, no, and they have like, great – they have so much cap space. They have Herbert and their new left tackle on rookie contracts, but I just – I wouldn't be – I would feel very disappointed if I was a member of the Chargers organization today.
1: Yeah, they're, they're really going to have to revamp on defense, and I think they're really going to need to add some passing weapons. This entire offseason was based – around establishing a core around Justin Herbert, and now it has to be fleshing the team out more. Like, now it has to be year two, like with Brandon Staley in the fold, year three of Justin Herbert. How, how far can we make this leap? I It's, it's really going to be interesting to see. I think they're going to be one of the more competitive AFC teams going forward. It's so tough having... It's so tough having the Chiefs in your division. That's just an absolute nightmare of having to mostly navigate the wild card if you're ever going to make the playoffs. Um, you know, it's gonna be really tough to win that division or win enough games to take that division. But you know, I, I wanted I wanted this to be Raiders' praise, but now I'm talking about no, the Chargers will be the third seed. They'll have an easy schedule. Like I'm talking, 2022 Chargers. I've gone off track at this point. Uh, this is my side piece. Has disappointed me, and yeah. uh, I'm I'm
0: really <laughs> Jackson. It's I'm really it's, it's tough for you. It's a tough day. I don't want to conclude discussion of this game and of these two teams without talking about the overtime period. First off, incredible job by Herbert, even to get them to the overtime. Weird last drive, never seen a six for 19 drive passing wise ended in a touchdown. Some of the throws he made, he put into just car wash windows, pretty impressive stuff. But then the overtime comes around, we get to the end there. What do we think about Brandon Staley's timeout? Did it have any impact? Do we think the Raiders were going to kneel it out? And is that something that we need to blame today as we put the final chargers season takes to rest?
1: No, I don't think you're outsmarting yourself. Uh, the like, it's it's bad. It's I don't I don't think you're. The, a part of it comes down to the fact that the Chargers' defense needs to be better against the run. Needs to be able to hold Josh Jacobs short of a ten-yard gain. You know what I mean? Like there, there has to be some sort of actual resistance put up by this Chargers defense like if your coach is trusting you and putting this on your back make the stand like actually try and get this done because then you can like then you can use your other timeout to actually try and get the offense on the field make some sort of magic happen in 40 seconds whatever I guess that's the logic going into this it feels like a Ocean's 11s montage of successful events running through Brandon Steel's mind to justify this. Yeah, I don't think it's outright bad. The 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 Austin Eckler optics after the fact of that one sideline shot that people kept pointing to, where someone on the Raiders was talking to Austin Eckler and he looked shocked and despondent by potentially seeing like, oh, we were going to nail that for you guys. Like that's what everyone's reading into this. I don't think it's that. I think it would not. Been sick. It's certainly
0: not proof. That's that's it's not what yeah, we it's can not say evidence. it is. It's not nobody's, evidence by nobody's any nobody's lip reading that accurately, but
1: no, 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 no. Yeah.
0: But I, I, I think the, at the end, end of the day, there's so many other things that you can point to. We can even talk about an earlier decision by Brandon Staley to go for it on fourth and one on his own 17 yard line, but I don't think we need to be talking about that. So um crazy game. I think both of us were low-key rooting for a tie to keep the Steelers out of the playoffs, but It is what it is. We must move on to the NFC briefly to talk about that Niners-Rams game yesterday, the other crazy, wacky overtime game that was actually somewhat entertaining to watch. And both teams end up making the playoffs. Thankfully, we don't have to see Trevor Simeon start a playoff game next week. And I think more so for you, the Rams were the main thing to come away from this game thinking about because this is a team that at different parts of the season we thought might be contenders the nfc hasn't proven to be you know there's there's not one dominant team even with the packers kind of running away with the one seat at the end there and coming out of that game yesterday you just feel like even removing the shanahan aspect of things there are some real issues i'm i'm
1: getting genuinely nervous about the rams uh playoff performance or playoff potential rather uh matthew stafford has really looked rough down the stretch of this season. Uh I, I mean, I don't know what you can really chalk it up to, but, you know, anything from like the Vikings game or the Ravens game or this Niners loss, that last interception is just bad. Like they, he just has some really jarring moments where it, like the football side of things just isn't connected. Like it's, People have talked about how he sees the field differently than other quarterbacks. He doesn't read through his progressions. Normally it, it's been a thing since he was in Detroit. He, he just sees different windows. And I think that works if you're a full strength and you've got Robert Woods in the fold and you've got this arsenal of wide receivers at your disposal, but numbers are running thin now. And The offense just looks a little different. The offense just hasn't – it hasn't been clicking. Like, we thought, like, you know, people thought this was going to be, you know, not great a show on turf, Turfest, but people really hyped up this Rams team. And I think for some – like, I think there's a good amount of credence to say that this is a pretty defensively led team, and even that is – weak to say, <laughs> like <laughs> like Aaron Donald's awesome, Ron Miller's been a very solid addition to this team, Jalen Ramsey is Jalen Ramsey playing out of his mind they've hit on guys like Taylor Rapp and you know, like Traven Howard like, they, they've hit on a bunch of different guys and they've built out a very solid defense, even the loss of Staley but, you know it's not it's it doesn't top feel heavy. like, yeah, it doesn't feel like enough for a complete Super Bowl run no and, this isn't a team that's necessarily like I, I think it's I think it's hyperbolic to say that this team's in win now mode because uh, this is like they've been structure. in win
0: last year mode.
1: <laughs> yeah no this is a structural thing the, like the Saints going into breeze breezes last year were in win now mode with how cash, cash strapped they were and how they allocated their resources and they you understood that the second breeze was leaving this team had nothing and you saw that with you know what they were able to accomplish like the roster was stacked but they had like no receivers and uh, the quarterback play, like quarterback play was obviously an issue revolving door but like there's just so many different issues with that team and you understood why despite the talent on the roster they couldn't get it anywhere uh, and they couldn't make the playoffs but The Rams just like the Rams feel like this is a structural thing. This is something that can work long-term and you're going to have Stafford play for a couple of years. Like it's, if they're in it for the long haul, they're still building team. They're still a top tier team. It's just, this is how they build the team. They build it through big name marquee free agents in their prime. Uh, And they have the cap allocation to do that. And they understand that having a player at the top of their position Boosts you in depth already because anyone else you have on your roster immediately goes down a pack. So it's a big addition to a team. And this is just like, it's
0: built for the long term, but I don't think it's built for this playoff. Well, with that being said, you'll have to stick around until the back half of our show to hear if, in fact, either one of us thinks the Rams have much of a shot moving forward in the playoffs. And from the Niners perspective, we'll get into that a bit later in the show as well. Big win for them. We've got to talk about Black Monday. It's all the rage in the streets right now. We've got so many job openings. We've got the Vikings, the Bears, the Dolphins. That's the surprise one of the day. Already knew the Raiders' job was going to be open. We knew the Jags' job was going to be open. And the Broncos also announced that they will not be bringing back Vic Fangio. In addition to that, we had the GMs get fired in Minnesota and Chicago. And Dave Gettleman stepped down in New York. The Wicked Witch is dead, kind of. Because Joe Judge apparently is not getting fired, or at least was not fired today when he maybe went, maybe or maybe did not go to John Mayer's office to defend his honor. So, so much up in the air. But let's start with Flores. That's the the big news of the day. The big tangible thing that happened that surprised us all. 24 and 25 in three years as a head coach inherited one of the worst rosters in football. Did not have a hand in drafting Tua over Justin Herbert. In fact, reports mostly say that he was in favor of Herbert. And yet, two years later, nine and eight record this year, one eight of their final nine, coming off a big win over the Patriots yesterday. It's not enough. And owner and owner Steven Ross announces that the two are parting ways. So Kale, is this a defensible move in any way by the Miami yeah. Dolphins?
1: Nope, not at all. If you fire a coach and that coach immediately becomes an automatic addition to a team of the vacancies shortlist of potential hires, you've made an incorrect decision. You need to reevaluate your process and you need to make it work with that coach. That's exactly what happened in Miami. He's going to have a great shot round two of being a good head coach or a good defensive coordinator. Some people said that, you know, people that didn't mind the move or said that they saw it coming in a uh, scare quotes the the writing on the wall was essentially he didn't form great relationships with players and coaches and I think that's mainly for er, players and front office personnel but I think it's mainly because of the position he's put it you can't run a full offense with Tuatuga Vailoa if you don't think that he's capable of running that offense if you have to work and cater to his skill set like that's a problem off the bat. He was also given a running backs coach and a tight ends coach to co-run the Miami Dolphins offense. There's no semblance of structure that it makes sense. What's going to be really interesting for Miami is this, this defense is specifically built for what Flores runs. It's a lot of big bodies up front, a lot of box stacking, a, a very unique style of football that isn't seen a lot of other places. You saw it give, you know, teams like the Ravens trouble early. Like you, you've seen a lot of teams struggle with it and it worked out for them. Uh, Worked out for them. Uh, it worked out for Miami against the Patriots on Sunday. It's it's really baffling. And the other one I'm I'm somewhat surprised by and it's less surprised, more uh, understood he got a really bad shake is Vic Fangio. Vangio is he's up there in age yes but he's a defensive-minded coach uh that has been he's never been given a quarterback and he's built a fantastic defense and he's been asked to go up against patrick mahomes Derek carr and now justin herbert twice a year and bronco's like bronco's quarterback situation has been a nightmare and he's in spite of that, been able to build a really strong team. I brought up the Saints earlier as just a team that hasn't really gotten like their legs off the ground and they're, you know, they hung on for dear life for a playoff spot, despite their revolving door at quarterback, which is because of how good the roster is. The Saints are also propped up by the fact they have the Falcons and Panthers in their division. So it it looks a little bit better and they have the better of a shot when they can pick up actual free wins there. The Broncos were on the doorstep of the playoffs with a gauntlet in the AFC West that they had to deal with. And they did a pretty good job, like at least keeping up Mahomes. If they don't have spoiler alert for game ball, if they don't have a, a fumble return, 90 plus yards for a touchdown, they, they have a much better chance of winning that game. Like if they don't have a freak play, the longest fumble recovery of the season they
0: they're not in the playoffs but they beat pat mahomes and the chiefs the when only, they needed the, to win the only counter argument i would make to your schedule argument is that they started the year three and oh with possibly the weakest opening three games we've ever seen in the history of football and then from that point forward went four and ten so yes that because back half they have, of the schedule because is they tough. have teddy Bridgewater. And Drew Lock,
1: I know. Drew Locke playing quarterback. I am,
0: I am on board with what you're saying. However, to act like they were on the doorstep of the playoffs when they lost ten of their final fourteen games is maybe a bit of a stretch. But I mean, I'm, like I'm with stu- you on the I mean, like part
1: of it. Numerically, they were in it for a hot minute. I guess. I guess.
0: Yeah, they are seven and ten. I, <laughs> I botched that one. It's uh, it's seven and ten football team, and it's mostly because of the quarterback play, and it's a quarterback driven league. So, fully with you. Uh Fangs maybe had a bit of a head scratcher on the way out just in terms of allowing the game to end on Patrick Mahomes' account without even trying to score a touchdown. But all in all, I think he's a great defensive mind. And while maybe because of the age concern might not be an ideal candidate for a fresh start elsewhere, deserved better than he got from the time he had in Denver.
1: I will say, do you know who Vic Fangio coached with? Uh, not only in San Francisco, but at Stanford as well. Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> and if he can be a defensive coordinator on whatever team Jim Harbaugh goes to, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Las Vegas, uh,
0: it's apparently not going to be Miami. If you listen, it's to not Stephen going to be Ross. it's not going to be Miami
1: per Stephen Ross, but uh, Vic Fangio can still absolutely be a uh, a force in this league and a can absolutely still. Yeah, give quarterbacks nightmares. I, I I'm really excited to see what he ends up doing because he, he still has some good football left in him.
0: Well, let's briefly touch on the other coaches who got fired. Then Nagy and Zimmer. Writing was on the wall. Anything else to discuss there?
1: Writing was on the wall for Nagy. Uh, I think he history is going to look kindly at Matt Nagy because of what he had to deal with a quarterback and uh, if. Justin Fields doesn't pan out. I think he's going to get another chance, like the second chance that Adam Gase got after leaving Miami. Uh, I think, you know, yeah, I think in a better situation, he's still got some kind of life in him. Uh, Mike Zimmer had his foot halfway out the door the entire year. Uh, he knew this team wasn't up to snuff. Uh, I think, especially in the second half of the season, you could tell just, you know, I'm, I'm the weekend quotes guy. You can tell just how quickly his demeanor changed, his language changed, he d- just sheer apathy. Didn't even address the team one last time after finding out who's being fired. So, no, no, uh, no surprises there.
0: No, and I think with Nagy, it's not even that the circumstances were bad. It's how actively he made them worse this year by juggling the quarterbacks, never was able to develop a competent game plan for Justin Fields, uh, just the, the dysfunction you saw on a weekly basis with the Chicago Bears for really the good part of two years is is really what ended up doing him in. It's not that he was in a great situation. You can still be put in a bad situation and still stick your foot in your mouth, and that's ultimately why Nagy had to go.
1: Yeah, and I I think his circumstances were just poor. And don't get me wrong, he was a bad coach for the Chicago Bears. Like, it was a bad – two years just a just a bad offense they were running very milquetoast it felt it felt five years behind the rest of the league at points uh just a bad offense uh and as play caller that squarely falls on their shoulders uh that being said i you should take some time doing like you know I don't know what the what's the NFL version of like joining Nick Saban's consulting team at Alabama to like repair your image because he needs the NFL version
0: of that. Can you go back to Andy Reid? Is that an option? Maybe he can just plug and play himself for the when the takes a job. I'd love I'd love him to break the Chiefs. I'd, <laughs> I'd love that Jackson, man, not a lot of faith in the nagster. And frankly, none of it is rightfully warranted. so <laughs> none of it is warranted um, we'll save the New York giants for head scratchers. It's the ultimate tease, but we have to discuss what they've done and why Joe judge is still their head coach. But for now, we'll move on, talk about a little bit more of the positive side of what happens on the football field, and shout out some individual performances. It's time for game balls. I'll go first for offense because, I don't, I don't know how we haven't awarded this man a game ball this year. It just never worked out with the other performances in a given week, or maybe he balled out and the Niners still lost. But Debo Samuel has just proven himself to be maybe the most versatile player in all of professional football. And yesterday took it to a new level by throwing a 24-yard touchdown pass, an absolute dime at that. And... Second on the team in rushing over five yards per carry once again. Second on the team in receiving four catches for a full 95 yards. Just a workhorse. Everything you could possibly want from a football player. Still so young. 2019 draft pick. You know, is there's just years and years of productive football left. Maybe not if they use him as a running back all the time, but Debo Samuel could not be more valuable to this 49ers team. They're not in the playoffs without him. They're not a threat to do anything in the playoffs without him, but he's still there. And that's why I can't fully ever count the Niners out in any individual game. It's time to give him finally a game ball in this program.
1: Yeah. I mean, hats off to him. Dio Samuel feels like he was uh, created by a fantasy football addict in a lab. (laughs) Uh, His sheer positional versatility is beyond impressive uh, if, You know, we haven't got quite gotten to the uh, basketball level of positionless basketball or positionless football, rather. But uh, a good title for Debo Samuel feels like uh, what Denard Robinson wanted to call himself coming out of Michigan, and that's offensive weapon. Because you can really plug him in anywhere and do anything with him. Uh, His, you know, his catch radius is crazy. He has such incredible body control. Uh, His speed is second to none. Uh, Like it's, it, it feels like a Madden creative player. He feels like a hack and now he's throwing
0: touchdowns. Like what can't he do on the offensive side of the ball? He's so impressive. Are we going to put him in the secondary soon? I mean, it's, it's time to start asking the difficult questions here. Uh, Nothing else to say. Debo had a tremendous game, a tremendous season has proven himself to be worthy of any accolades and any future contracts coming his way. Kale, who's your offensive game ball? My
1: offensive game, well, returning to that Sunday night game, it's Josh Jacobs. 26 carries, 132 yards and the touchdown, bolstering Derek Carr's uh, pretty solid performance, uh, nothing too flashy. On the other end, you know, if, Justin, if Chargers end up winning this game or even tying it, I would have thrown it this way, just the sheer volume of passes he threw. But Josh Jacobs is, you know, really been impressive. Uh, it's – I'm – Glad he seemed to mostly have healed up from this injury completely. I know he missed games early in the season, but it's he tore through this Chargers defense like a knife through – a hot knife through butter, not a knife through hot butter. Uh, <laughs> that's just melted butter. I mean, a knife would tear through hot butter. It just wouldn't be It's just be melted butter, impressive. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's – it's it's really impressive. His, like, patience as a running back, his, his ability to just hit holes, find holes. Movement in space, it's, man, this Chargers defense needs to address their run defense because, man, it's a problem. And Josh Jacobs definitely made it look like a problem.
0: (laughs) Well, you do still have to tip your hat in, in a situation like that. And it's not as though the Raiders have some sort of dominant offensive line i have watched josh jacobs quite closely for two years now as in my money fantasy league he's been one of my primary running backs and i know nobody likes to hear about people's fantasy problems but what i can tell you about josh jacobs is it is ever too frequent that somebody is contacting him two yards in the backfield before he's even had a chance to look at where the hole might be so the fact that he's able to finally turn in a performance like this his largest total rushing output of the season. He sets the tone early with the touchdown. He keeps it going and ultimately puts the game away on the foot of Daniel Carlson, at least by converting the third down with a 10 yard run in overtime. It's a no brainer. It's a great game ball. And Josh Jacobs deserves recognition on this fine podcast this morning. How about we talk about defense? You get to go first this time. What stood out to you? You already tipped it. In fact, Tell me about that Chiefs game on Saturday. Yeah, we've been teasing a
1: lot in this one. Called Week Eight Tease, more like. Oh it.
0: God, I'm hanging up.
1: The uh, man, I already said it, but that that Melvin Ingram, uh, just not like it's not even a strip, because it was just the sheer force of impact running into Melvin Gordon, absolutely crushing blow. It was on Clowney light. Oh no, it's it's right up there with that highlight of the South Carolina Michigan game. It's it was a crushing blow that you could hear immediately, like you could hear it from the broadcast. It was so loud. You know, Nick Bolton doing doing the damn thing, running the bag 90 plus yards for the touchdown. Uh, and Ingram Ingram in the midst of it, like keeping up with Drew Locke, like not quite throwing blocks. But just acting as an intimidating presence to deter him from actually <laughs> uh, making any sort of he got his cardio in bad business decisions. <laughs> just a great, insane play. Somehow, right at the right at the uh, you know the eleventh hour, the eighteenth hour in this case. Uh, somehow, the eleventh hour, Melvin Ingram turns in one of the best defensive highlights of the twenty twenty one season. So. In that case, I'm the highlight guy. He gets a game ball in my book.
0: And I know this is a game ball for Ingram, but I, I also just I, I watched the post game because the Eagles-Cowboys game wasn't coming on for a while. And that Bolton kid is cool. I would be very excited to have him on my team. And Nicole Hardman cameo aside, uh, I thought he really showcased himself well for a rookie in that interview. And that would be a good piece to have on my defense moving forward for years to come. Uh, I'll talk defense next, and this is not a, a consequential game ball in terms of making a playoff push, but there's a guy who I think we both love and has been a factor on the defensive side of the ball in this league for a long time and just never really came together for him this year, speaking that is of Patrick Peterson in Minnesota, and this is a ball hawk. This is a guy who has had, you know, league leads and fumble recoveries in the past, past breakups, interceptions, you know, tackles. He's been everywhere, an eight-time pro bowler and just one of the great defensive players of our era. And this year, you know, just wasn't really anything to talk about for most of it. But he finally gets in on the act this week, not only with an interception, but with a pick six of Andy Dalton. That must have felt very 2014 for him right back in his glory days. And then he gets to have a nice little moment with the Vikings faithful, you know, heading over uh to the logo, doing a little bit of a pose, starting up the skull chant, uh, and salting the game away for the Vikings to finish their season on a high note. So not a great season for Pat Pete, not a great season for the Vikings, but always good to go out with a bang.
1: Yeah, if this is the end for the if uh if this is the end of the
0: road for Patrick Peterson, what a way to go out, man. Phenomenal. And only 31 years old, but you can definitely sense that the game's dropped off a little bit. So you hope he can maybe find a second wind. But if it is the last time we see him making glorious plays, you know, it was a nice finish up to a season that I don't think many people are going to have fond memories of at least the first 17 weeks. Definitely.
1: It's his, his play has really been poor and I wish this (laughs) game mattered more for the uh for the Vikings but I, picking off Andy has to feel pretty good and <laughs> like pick sixes have always just been
0: so impressive to me like so fun and that was you know it the ball was up in the air for about 10 seconds he was playing center field the minute he caught it uh he had the entire offense on their heels but a pick six is a pick six nonetheless and it's got to be good for Pat to to be able to take home a ball like that actually only his second career touchdown in year 11 in the NFL. So pretty cool stuff for him. Let's move on to special teams. Three guys hit game-winning overtime field goals yesterday. It doesn't make a ton of sense for us to only pick two of them to get game balls, but I guess if we had to prioritize two of them, Daniel Carlson is an absolute lock 49 yarder with the game on the line and the season uh, bangs at home. No problem. Also hit a deep one earlier in overtime that barely squeaked inside the upright nine for nine on field goals of 40 plus yards in the final two minutes in his career. That is pretty outstanding Football. or this season, excuse me, in the final two minutes of this season. Uh, and then the other two, I'm going to let you make the call here, Kale. We've got Robbie gold and we've got Chris Boswell um, splitting hairs here. What's your pick? Robbie gold gets the
1: added benefit of uh, also taking up punting duties as well by the end of this game. So in terms of just the full special teams landscape, I think I got to hand it to Robbie Gould. I know his game-winning field goal was, in fact, shorter than Chris Boswell's. Uh, Not by much. They were both pretty uh, safe field goals. No need to have long field goal envy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That one took a second. You see what Uh, I
0: did?
1: I did. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so I'm going, I'm, going with, uh, I'm going with Robbie Gould just because he also took up the punting duties, did a little double tip there. And also, uh, Chris Boswell is the reason I have to
0: watch Ben Roethlisberger in the postseason. So, <laughs> Pain, uh, that is a very worthy inclusion. And of course, Boswell is worth mentioning as well. Outscored the rest of his team yesterday, so deserves some recognition. Now let us talk about the uniforms on the field yesterday. We'll keep it going on a high-energy note. I guess I'll go first here because we had not seen the teal throwbacks yet from the Dolphins this year. We saw the whites. We love those. Those made my uniform game. But they waited until week 18 to bust out the Dan Marino-era teal tops. Going up against the Patriots, I think their whites are better than their blues. I don't like when teams go – mono blue. So the Patriots road uniforms being their stronger of the two. Pretty solid. I'm pretty happy with it. It's a it's a middle of the pack to slightly above middle of the pack uniform set. But anytime those dolphins uniforms are out on the field it's almost a lock that that's going in my uniform section. And this week is no exception. Dolphins Patriots uniform game. Kale, over to you. It's a great one. There
1: were a lot of good there were a lot of good uniform games this weekend, I will say. Um Thought about putting Kansas City Denver in there. Uh I, I really enjoyed uh Indianapolis, Jacksonville, although Jackson did remind me that I already used that exact same game. <laughs> and because I've already judged if we see it twice a year, it's not worth talking about t- more
0: than once. Can't use that one either. Well we see I mean it's it's a very loose rule that you've created because of course we see the past like, the Dolphins play twice a year as well. It's just they I don't like always wear the throwbacks. To create some
1: uh, arbitrary rules to make things difficult (laughs) for me Jackson have you not learned this yet Uh, I'm going with Washington and New York there's just something about Giants Blues and Washington Whites with the red pants and the yellow and white stripe uh, the maroon helmets It, it feels growing up on Long Island and being forced to not watch the New England Patriots that I rooted for and subjected to New York football and New York scheduling. Uh there's just a little piece of this that like feels like football season to me. And and in week 18, seeing this, it, it like brought me back to like watching football as a kid, like getting home from like peewee football and turning on Sunday NFL countdown, like watch watching Mike Ditka and Berm chop it up with Tom Jackson, Keyshawn. like it, it there was like just this like there it like this warmth that I got just watching the highlights from this game. I I I can't quite pin it, but it just it just started like the neurons in my brain started firing off the second I watched this 22-7
0: snooze fest. I know you weren't getting warm <laughs> from watching the actual plays that were unfolding on the football field from Jake Fromm and his pick sixes or the quarterback sneaks from the four-yard line. So I'm glad that at least the aesthetics were able to provide you something in that regard. Moving right along to head scratchers, it's time to talk about the New York Giants. The New York Giants are a joke, Kale. <laughs> there's there's just too many things to say at this point. I mean, we had the free medium Pepsi's a few weeks ago. Uh, we had the rant last week where he... Then we had the rant last week where Joe Judge went on an 11-minute tirade about how everyone was beating down the door to come play for him. And then all this week, we had Joe Judge defending his job by talking about the process that he was building, the belief he has in his players. But... Running quarterback sneaks on second and 11 and third and nine from your own five yard line in a one possession game does not inspire a ton of confidence. And the pick six was bad. Allowing Antonio Gibson to just strut into the end zone with nobody really appealing, with nobody really appearing that they wanted to try and tackle him, was also bad. And today it appears that Joe Judge is going to keep his job as the head coach of the New York Football Giants. So, Gentlemen being fired is maybe a step in the right direction, but I think we've just spent so much time talking about what a dumpster fire the Giants have become this year that it feels right to end the season talking about them as a head scratcher, especially when they give us the ammo of running quarterback sneaks from their five-yard line. Cale, what do you have to add?
1: I have nothing to add to a Joe Judge conversation. I cannot believe that he is still the coach of this team. I Like, going through line by line of that 11-plus-minute question he answered last week, uh, I would have done it as a Tuesday reading if it wasn't 11 minutes (laughs) of an answer. Just so many bits, like, comments about, like, ah, you, you know how why we're a good team? You don't see the golf bags around the lockers or, like, people talking about vacations. You can't play golf on Long Island or in New Jersey in (laughs) January. There's snow on the ground. It's not possible. (laughs) He's talking about like, ah, in 2018, midway through the season, we all thought we were getting fired. It was a 7-2 Patriots. The only two losses you had were against the Doug Marone, Blake Bortles Jaguars that had just gone to the AFC Championship in week two. And then week three, it lost to Matt Patricia in his first year with the Lions at some people even think Bill Belichick threw because he wanted Patricia to look better and do like a solid to an old buddy. And those are the only two losses you had, and you won the Super Bowl that year. No one was getting fired. Like he's got he's he's talking about like I've got fans emailing me. I got a dozen emails a day from fans. Why do fans have your email? Like, there's so many things he's I, just he, lying, Kale. He frustrates me so much. Oh and man! I think I he has to appeal to some like old school football mind that like the Mara's envy and idolize. I think the Patriots thing certainly helps because I think they feel like they really swung and missed letting Belichick go and like having part like you know when Parcells left, like losing out on a guy like that and trying to reclaim those old days. Like I think you really. I I think they're trying to capture something that just doesn't exist in the modern NFL uh, beyond Bill Belichick. It's, it's so funny. It's so funny. They ran a designed telegraphed QB sneak on third and nine from their own floor, just a literal white flag of a play. Like you couldn't care less. You you're fully surrendering it's a bad look. It's, I could talk all day about this. I'm, well, I'm so just dejected to, talking about Joe judge, just to contribute a job,
0: <laughs> just to contribute a mini Tuesday reading to your Joe judge. Uh, it's really just a tirade that, that is fully well-deserved. Uh, he said in press conferences this week, we'll play every play. Like it has a history and life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. And then he goes out and runs quarterback sneaks on third and nine with a relentless competitive attitude. And actually, I mean, second and 11, you could argue, is worse than running it on third and nine, because then you you still theoretically have two plays to go try and get a first down. That's even more white flaggy. So I don't care who you have a quarterback. You have nothing to lose in this game. I guess Joe Judge gets to keep his job for another season. I've got Giants fans that I'm seeing online renouncing their fanhood until he's gone. And I think they actually mean it, unlike most fans who try to renounce their fanhood. So things are in a bad spot, and I don't see them getting better anytime soon. This is what the Giants get for taking two Lombardi trophies away from Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. This is their comeuppance, and they're just going to have to live with it for the next few years. Why don't we hear your head scratcher? Let's move in an entirely different direction from yesterday. I'm going to breeze through mine. Uh, the L.A.
1: Brayden Daily uh, timeout is just a little, like, it's tough to read that one. Like, I, I, I still haven't formulated a super strong opinion about it. Uh, I think it can be heavily debated either way, so I don't want to chalk that up as an abject head scratcher. So I'm going with a, a small Tuesday reading for my uh, for my personal head scratcher. Matthew Stafford after the Rams 49ers game it was a tough environment for us to communicate in really the entire second half the Rams played at home yesterday the Rams are now getting chargers where they're having uh opponents come out in droves and their home their home field environment of SoFi Stadium is now treated like an away game I guess uh and I don't know I don't think I don't think Excuse me. I don't think that any of Stafford's two second half interceptions or any of his big misses down the stretch are indicative of a, you know, a shifting in a way team crowd noise. Like, I, I don't think he's, he's using that quote to chalk it up to that. But man, if you're having communication problems in your own home stadium, how's that going to work in the playoffs when teams are like, when fans are paying thousands of dollars to see you and come out. And it's way more of a neutral environment, if
0: anything, especially in a hub city, like LA. This is a tough episode for the Rams and it's completely warranted. I will say that not only are the Niners, one of the better traveling fan bases, especially on the West coast, but that's a short trip down Bay area. Folk are looking to get their little weekend getaway for LA and this is the problem with moving these teams to LA in 2017 or whatever it was. There's not an existing fan base there. I mean, certainly the Rams have a small one uh, from their days back in LA. The chargers had essentially nothing in LA, just San Diego. And now you've created an environment where opposing fan bases are walking all over you on an every weekend basis. So it's a bottom line business and these owners are just trying to get their checks, however they can. But from a player standpoint, I mean, it's just a demoralizing feeling to walk into what should be a welcoming environment and hear hostile voices on a weekly basis. It's not productive. It's not conducive to building a winning atmosphere. Winning teams draw energy from their crowd. And I know we've seen it throughout the years go down in the playoffs, especially, I mean, think back to, the Super Bowl year with the Patriots when they hosted the Ravens in a game that it looked like they were on the brink of losing. I truly believe the crowd brought them back in that game. There were moments in that game where there were stoppages of play and the crowd just whipped up into a frenzy. You know, you see the videos of the outfields your love playing over the loudspeakers and people just losing it. And I know that happens in other stadiums too. And that's not going to happen for the Rams or the Chargers anytime in the near future because they do not have that rabid, loyal fan base. So I don't know what the fix is, but it's a bad situation.
1: Team construction in LA is so fascinating just because if you look at the Rams, Lakers, and Dodgers, it's all – like people in LA don't really care about sports beyond the Lakers, and the Lakers have always built – have been built on star power, on big names uh, throughout the entirety of their tenure. It's been a big name thing. Uh, I would push back on that. People care about the Dodgers.
0: That's a big I mean, rapid fan base.
1: I mean, people care about the Dodgers. I mean, it's just tough to like. Maybe it's maybe it's a misconception on my part. You're the California guy, but it's it is interesting that like, but like, the, no one cares about the Angels. No one cares about the Clippers. Like, correct. I'm saying that like because those like marquee brands as sports are built on star power. Now there's two teams in LA. One is built like one is trying to do a homegrown thing where everything that they've worked on is in house and the other is the rams who have have gotten the best player uh at every defensive level uh linebacker corner defensive and defensive line uh you know have a marquee quarterback and just keep adding it like bringing odell beckham and von Miller. like they just keep bringing in names It's names 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 and it's I guess it's a good drive fan but This is completely unrelated to the to the stadium noise thing. It's just a fun little quirky theory I've been working <laughs> on in my brain.
0: Well, I appreciate the quirks of your brain. We're gonna move right along. Uh, I'm gonna do a surprise segment for you very quickly Ooh. before we dive into our postseason predictions. I don't know if this will become a recurring segment, but this is just my out of left field funny football thing that has no bearing on the outcomes of the game to beat you over the head with. And this installment is over the past 25 seasons, the only team never to allow a play of 40 plus yards at any point during that season is the 2021 Atlanta Falcons.
1: <laughs> yeah, that didn't have a place anywhere in our show. No. except for right there. <laughs> Hats had off. to stick it in somewhere. Unbelievable Hats stuff. Hats off. It's it's, is Arthur's is Arthur Smith gonna write the ship? Who knows? But <laughs> it's they're playing football. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all they, they played did.
0: that football this year. They tried. They the Atlanta Falcons should get a you tried sticker. Uh, on each of their helmets for, uh, the preseason of next season, but, uh, moving right along, we do need to talk a little bit of postseason um, first round matchups. It starts off Saturday. We've got the Eagles going to Tampa in the afternoon window and the Patriots heading to Buffalo in the nightcap. And then Sunday, a triple header starts off with the Raiders heading to Cincinnati. Next up, it's the Niners. Going to Dallas, that one's interesting because the Niners have historically traveled very well to Dallas, much like they did to the Rams this past week in terms of the crowd. So it'll be interesting to see how much red there is in Jerry World. And then finishing up with the game that we are probably least excited about, Steelers at Chiefs. And then they're giving us a Monday nighter for the first time in wildcard weekend, a Monday nighter we just saw a few weeks ago in the Rams and the Cardinals. So First round thoughts. Any games jump off the page? Which are you most excited to watch?
1: It would have been. I'm not. I'm not going to do would have been. It would have been Chiefs Chargers round three. That would have been mind blowing. Uh, now it's. Uh, I'm excited for Patriots Bills round three. Uh, I'm very excited for 49 ers Cowboys. In all honesty, uh, and and there's something there's something weirdly pulling to me about uh las vegas cincinnati just real scrappy organizations that feel the. i wouldn't call the raiders ahead of schedule because i don't really understand what trajectory they're on but raiders in the face of a lot of adversity this year really triumphing over a lot of just curveballs after curveball being thrown their way and since he truly ahead of schedule uh just finding a way to cobble a really good defense together off of Spare parts and free agency uh, putting together one of the most electric offenses I've seen in a long time, despite the fact they have no protection for it. And it's kind of a mess at times, but when it's fun, it's electric, man. It's I, I'm kind of pumped for that one because there's, there's a lot of different ways that one that game can go. Uh, but if it pans out well, because the playoffs typically do, uh, it's going to be a blast and it's going to be one of the ones that people aren't really talking about in the lead up, but uh is going to be so fun after the fact. Hopefully.
0: I, I like that one a lot. I think that one's flying under the radar. I also think Niners Cowboys is flying under the radar. We've got so many fun offensive weapons in that game, you know, broken plays are going to happen. You know that Dallas could explode defensively at any moment. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about the takeaways game. They play with their offense in practice. Uh, so just the the sheer number of stars on the field in that game, Debo, Kittle, Fred Warner, uh, Nick Bosa, and then you go over to the other side. I mean, the names are endless. Dak, Zeke, Tony Pollard, CeeDee Lamb. Uh, it's just, it's an unbelievable, and, and the defensive side, I mean, Micah Parsons could make his entrance on the playoff stage in a grand way, so I'm just stoked to see it all go down. I think that game has the potential to be very back and forth in nature and of the Saturday games. That one's actually my favorite. So should be a fun first round super wild card weekend as they now call it. I think this is the last year that I'm okay with them calling it that because I don't think they're planning on going back to 12 team playoffs. So this is just what wild card weekend is now. Uh, But it's, it's going to be very fun regardless. Um, time to get into the prediction game for the first time all season. And we're going to tell you our Super Bowl picks at this early point. Uh, there's no playoff games been played yet. Everything's all fresh. And we just want to get it on record uh, because these things are fun. And it'll be fun to look back and say where we went wrong. So uh, let's start with you, Kale. Who are your two teams that you see fighting it out in maybe L.A., maybe Dallas in five weeks' time?
1: So I'm going to start with the NFC uh, because it feels slightly easier for me. I'm going with Dallas. Uh, Green Bay has yet to play a complete game this season. We've talked about it a couple times at this point. They've yet to play a show-stopping, all-around, front-to-back performance uh, that has been really impressive uh, despite their number-one seeding. Uh, despite how well Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have looked at points, despite the massive improvements in their defense, there's yet to be a game where all facets of the game have come together for them. Tampa Bay is looking very banged up to me. I have my stipulations about what is going to happen with LA and Arizona. I have some issues there. Dallas is very complete. It is a, it is a, it's a slippery slope to them quickly being not complete and to Uh, You know, when your best cornerback and the league leader in interceptions also has let up a thousand yards receiving this season (laughs) and, you know, just as many touchdowns as he's had receptions, it's bad. It's a bad time. Uh, But I think just the talent they have on their front seven, the depth they have at wide receiver and their top three, like just having that top three out there, uh, the O line that's blocking for Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott, Dak Prescott doing Dak Prescott things. Like this team is so whole, and I feel like that's not something that a lot of the top seeds in the NFC can say. Flip side, uh, I it, it almost came out of my mouth, and I hesitate every time I'm about to say it. Buffalo, I'm going Buffalo. I it's it's so hard to say. The AFC, uh, because it feels like it's the Chiefs, but the Chiefs also in the last couple of weeks have looked like their old selves a little bit where the offense is really clicking and the defense just looks anemic at points, it looks completely porous. Uh, the fact that Drew Locke was able to put up 24 points on the Broncos on the Chiefs defense is crazy, the you know it's they've had a couple back like consecutive bad performances and I and I was skeptical of their low scores when they happened and and there's just something about this Chiefs team that like they feel insanely vulnerable but they also feel the like there's there's shades of old Chiefs and there's shades of early season Chiefs that looked like they were going to miss the playoffs outright uh tennessee is the worst one seed by dvoa in history uh they're the only one seed to ever make the playoffs with a negative dvoa <laughs> uh it's they're really weak uh i feel like the bengals are too complete patriots are uh, i mean like what are we making the patriots at this point i've gotten limping into the
0: playoffs yeah not I mean, where we sh- wanted them to be
1: seriously ahead, of, like we said little ahead of schedule kind of like the bengals not nearly as dynamic if much better well coach and maybe some veteran experience will help push this team further than they should, but they've got to get through Buffalo first. And if Buffalo can over like overtake the Patriots, they'll be the three seed and they won't have to play Kansas City until yes, no, they'll, they'll play right. no they'll play the Kansas week. City the very next round. They'll play Kansas City the very next round. Uh and that's okay. I think there's a shot. That, like, it's it's uphill in the AFC, no matter w- what way you go. It feels like every team is going to have a tough time. But if they can get through – the winner of Kansas City, Buffalo, if Buffalo beats the Patriots next week. And I- I'm chalking in Kansas City beating Pittsburgh. That's not a question. <laughs> <mind>. I'm, <laughs> cho- I'm writing that in permanent Sharpie. Uh, so, if Buffalo can beat New England – it's the winner of that game is going to the Super Bowl for the AFC. Well, that's,
0: let me just I, I pick think up. that's the easiest yeah. thing. Let, let me just pick up where you left off there because I agree with that sentiment. And I also want to just hearken back to my own sentiments at this time last year when I felt convinced that there was a collision course for the two state farm representatives to meet in a Super Bowl. And I wasn't gonna like it. Because those state farm commercials were going to beat me over the head all throughout the playoffs. And by the Super Bowl, they would reach a fever pitch and I would be inconsolable. However, I'm going to make that pick again this year because I truly believe that the best team in each conference, as they are currently constructed and with the health that they have on their rosters, the depth from one to 53 are the Green Bay Packers in the NFC with the bye and the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC. Both teams have all sorts of red flags for me. I don't really want to pick either of them. However, I do at my core believe that they have the highest potential. They are the teams that I can most easily picture winning their respective conferences. I wanted to pick Tampa Bay. I wanted to pick Buffalo. I wanted to get super contrarian. I, I thought about Cincinnati. I just I didn't have the wherewithal to put anyone but those two in my Super Bowl. So It almost pains me, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a reprisal of my 2020 Super Bowl projection and make it a Packers-Chiefs matchup in L.A. for Super Bowl 57.
1: Well, there you have it, folks. Tennessee, Arizona.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're getting now. If we get Tennessee, Arizona, I will skydive. (laughs) <laughs> i'm terrified of heights we're not getting tennessee arizona in the Super If we're getting
1: it's gonna oh God, this this playoffs is gonna be very interesting because of the sheer level of parity around the nfl this year especially at the top end this, there's there's yet to be a single team that was supposed to like every year it feels like we've got a team that just rises to the top and separates themselves from the rest of the competition where it feels like they're the team to be across the board Green Bay should have been that team, and they just haven't been. And it's it it concerns me pretty deeply. I I you know they have won all their games though. That's what no, I <laughs> that's what I'm saying. They won all their games, except against Dan Campbell's Detroit Lions. <laughs> but they had like there's yet to just be like a convincing, like, all right, yeah, that's the win. Like, that's the thing that starts the Super Bowl DVD, just a crushing. Dominating victory, like the closest thing you can have, is against the backup quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. Like it's it it barely counts, and they like I don't know. It's it's probably the best game they've played, like most complete game they've played this year. But it doesn't feel like it's like that statement. Really, like like we got to look at the Packers kind of win. Like it's not the win that has all the talking heads. You know, kicking off their podcast with Packers so and so right after it happens, and that's the game of the week, and it's Aaron Rodgers MVP, which he's in the running. We'll get to that. I don't know.
0: It's they haven't played a complete game to me, and they worry me a lot as a one team. Trust me, they worry me a lot as well. And I wanted to pick Tampa over them again, but I can't do it without Godwin or Antonio. They're Brad. too You've banged gotta up. Gotta have a second receiver. Yeah, They're too banged up. It's just not. I can't do it. I, I won't be at all surprised if it happens. But if you're going to ask me to just stake my very prestigious reputation on, on my prediction for this uh, playoff season, I'm going to take Green Bay. And I'm actually I'm going to take it one step further in my theoretical Super Bowl matchup. I am picking the Green Bay Packers to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and secure Aaron Rodgers second Lombardi. So putting it all out on the limb. That's my 2021 Super Bowl projection. If I have to give a winner, uh, Dallas beats Buffalo. Wow. That is, I, I don't feel like I'm going out on as much of a limb anymore since you're taking the Dallas Cowboys to win a Super Bowl. But, hey, that's the beauty of this business. Either of us can or cannot be proven right or proven idiot. That's great. Um, exactly. Let us move on. Lastly, final agenda item this week a little awards discussion. We're going to zip through these. There's some that we feel are pretty obvious, but we just think it's fun to take a look back at the more impressive individual performances of the year. We'll go bottoms up. We'll start with rookies of the year. Give me your offensive and defensive rookie of the year. And I think I know where you're going with each.
1: Yeah, it feels, this feels like the biggest layup of award season. Uh, Offensive uh Mac Jones lost it. Uh it has to go to Jamar Chase at this point. Uh Jamar Chase, especially with the game he just had against Kansas City, he's absolutely earned that award. Uh incredible, incredible performance. Uh and defense, my cowboys, I guess. Uh <laughs> Micah Parsons. It's got to be Micah Parsons. Mike, like the versatility of Micah Parsons the
0: second and on, It's blows my mind. I love those picks there chalk in the best of ways they were guys who burst onto the scene and, and made it all look so easy uh there were other great rookie receivers this year and I'm I'm excited to see how their careers all pan out Waddle really came on for Miami at the end Devontae Smith was uh Phenomenal for Philly, he broke their rookie receiving record as well. Um, sorry to Deshaun Jackson, whose record stood for a few years there. But at the end of the day, it had to be Chase. And there was nobody in contention with Parsons for defense. It was it was uncontested for the past three months. I would say if Denver
1: was more relevant, you could absolutely throw Patrick Sertan into that conversation. He was great. Especially down the set stretch, he played really, really well. But I mean, Micah Parsons just really ran away with it early.
0: He was great, but he also wasn't the number one graded player at his position, the leader of a defense that was the number one defense by a lot of metrics. Uh, I mean, there's just there's yeah. not really much else there's to no say. There's no touching it. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Uh, we know Joe Burrow is going to win. Comeback player of the year. We don't need to go to that one. Let's go defensive player of the year. I feel
1: it feels like 2010's LeBron in the NBA, going Aaron Donald just consistently the best at what he does and is so far above the competition. It's, it's just second to none at this point. Like it's crazy how good he is. And it's part of the reason why LA is as formidable as they are, because you got to worry about that guy and he's fighting two double teams and he's, he's training with knives. Like
0: he's incredible. He's yeah. insane. Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in football He should win this award every year if we're just going based off of impact. I don't believe he's going to win it this year. So for a a record-keeping perspective, I'm going to say my pick is T.J. Watt because I think he's going to win the award. I think, A, voters have fatigue of Aaron Donald, much like voters had fatigue of LeBron winning MVPs in the 2010s. And when you break the Strahan sack record, you miss two games and still do it. So it's not as if the 17th game really played into that. Uh, I think the, the voters are going to reward that, especially after TJ Watt. Some feel was snubbed last year. I think this is the year that he wins that award. But I have absolutely no umbrage with your Aaron Donald pick. Offensive player of the year this one's tougher this one's a lot
1: tougher to me uh i've seen a lot of arguments online that have said uh, san francisco 49ers tackle trent williams deserves offensive play of the year uh solely because uh just mm-hmm. what he's been able to do at his position just uh, by far the best tackle in football uh and with how heavy san francisco leans on the run game and short pass game like his position to paramount I won't get into that. Jackson already looks disinterested in me talking about offensive line play. (laughs) I don't want to be that
0: guy. I like offensive line play. I'm cracking my neck for all the listeners at home. All Uh, right. I have back and neck problems. I am riveted by Trent Williams amazing season for the 49ers. I just want that on the record. That being said, uh, I'm doubling down on Rams.
1: I'm going Cooper cup. He set the record for. Uh, he, he first off, triple crown winner, one of only four wide receivers to do that. Uh, he set the record for DYAR, uh, as a receiver, uh, you know, beating out guys like Granny, and that's uh, defensive adjusted yards above replacement. Uh, it's a uh, football outsider's metric, uh, just in terms of pure efficiency and uh, yards purely created by the receiver themselves and Cooper cup's been an absolute phenom completely burst onto the scene. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, like Jonathan Taylor's in the running, but he plays behind such a fantastic offensive line. It's tough for me to give it to him going cup.
0: Yeah, I'm going cup as well because those last two games that the Colts lost granted they aren't Taylor's fault, but I feel like for him to win a major award, he sort of had to carry that team on his back to the playoffs. Much as I feel Cup sort of did with the Rams offense the entire season and the triple crown is just such a flashy uh, little accolade you can throw at those who are voting on awards at this time of year so there's there's not a ton of debate for me I think it's ha- it has to be Cup's award I, I I won't be hugely surprised if Taylor wins it but in my mind Cup is more deserving let's go coach of the year who drew up those X's and O's Kale? This one also feels like a couple different ways
1: I can go with this one. Uh, Zach Taylor and Cliff Kingsbury should probably be more in the running than they are. Uh, I think it has to be Mike Vrabel, though. Vrabel not only got this Tennessee team to a one seed, uh, not only has dealt with a lack of offensive weapons, uh, the 2021 Tennessee Titans have had the most... Players play at least a snap of football in the history of football. They've had, I, I think it hit ninety. I think they finally hit ninety different players have taken a snap at some point for the Tennessee Titans. That's insane. Just the sheer amount of turnover and this poor, like we talk about the Ravens having poor injury luck. The Titans had worse injury luck and got a one seed. That's insane. <laughs> That, That's pretty that, good work. It's If that doesn't earn you coach of the year, just managing personnel and keeping a cool head under these tough decisions, I don't know what else will.
0: I like that pick. I think that Mike Vrabel is going to end up winning the award, but my pick, the guy that I would vote for if I were allowed to, if when they finally step up and give me my vote, Cal, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going with uh, Matt LaFleur because – the Packers coming into this season were, I mean, everyone wanted to paint the picture of the Packers in disarray. They lose week one. People are saying, you know, why didn't they trade Rodgers? It's, it's just clear that the Rodgers era has come to an unceremonious. end. That was people's takeaway after week one. What did the Packers do after that? Uh, they just won 13 of their next 15 and snoozed their way to a one seed in the NFC. And I think LaFleur has been, you know, knocking on the door of a coach of the year award for a couple of years. Now his record as an NFL head coach, I mean, I guess you count this, uh, this defeat uh, as, as a loss on his record. So, this was his worst record, 13 and four, because the two years before that, he went 13 and three. So,
1: 39 and impressive, 10 as a impressive, head coach impressive stuff.
0: Years. Yeah. And I think that it's just, it, it goes unrecognized because of how boring it is that they, you know, sneak out these wins week after week. But uh, Matt LaFleur, Deserves a coach of the year award at some point, and I don't think there's you know there's there's no reason that shouldn't be this year even with even with the Titans throwing in those wins the way they did at the back half of the season. So those are our picks for the minor awards, I guess you could say. And now we get to the MVP. Kale, I'm going to let you do the honors. Who is your NFL most valuable player?
1: Oh man, I. This feels like the worst MVP race we've had in a while. Not worst, but like where it's it's the same logic I had with the Packers like not running out and being like the definitive team. No one quarter every one quarterback's had their flaws this year. And it's been uh it's been a fun season to watch in that regard because we haven't seen just pure perfection. Uh, but it's tough to pick the vote. But I will say uh that I'm going with Tampa Bay. I'm, go- oh, I'm going with Tampa Bay. I'm going with Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, Tom Brady. Uh, this, he is currently, according to Pro Football Reference, he is 44 years and 160 days old, and he's still somehow hitting career highs. He's thrown for 5,000 yards one other time this year. 5,316 yards is the most he's ever thrown in his career at age 44 years old. It's the most completions he's ever had at 485. He's, throw, he's throwing the ball more than he ever has in his entire career at 44 years old. And this is more impressive to me because he had fewer weapons, like because he had Goblin go down midseason because whatever happened with Antonio Brown and, and Antonio Brown, like barely played football this year. Anyway, uh, Gronk is getting up there a little bit. Like it, he's just had less to work with and he's somehow doing more than he did in the really impressive 2020 year that didn't really get going until midway through the season. Uh, I'm kind of talking like the second half of 2020 through postseason was impressive. Now it's a full complete 2021. And he's setting new benchmarks for himself and uh, time took
0: its first loss. Father time is now <laughs>
1: has a one lost record.
0: Get off the mat father time. Uh, it's, out. it's a completely understandable pick. Uh, I want to make that pick as well. The, the Pat's nostalgia on me is screaming right now for me to go with Brady, but Rogers is almost definitely going to win the award. And I think just purely from a statistical standpoint, Rodgers had the better season. You can make the argument, Brady, with the volume, the touchdowns were a little bit higher, but I just think Rodgers was more consistent, didn't turn the ball over, led the Packers to a slightly better record. And from if this is a moral character award, I'm not going to give it to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to be that Chicago Bears writer who set the internet on fire this past week by saying he wouldn't vote for Aaron Rodgers, but I understand because at the end of the day, you want the face of the league and its most prestigious award to, to uphold some standard of you know scientific truth, but I understand that that is not necessarily the world we live in, and at the end of the day, it is just a bottom line business, and I think Aaron Rodgers continues to be the best football player on any given weekend, so somewhat reluctantly, I'm going to give the MVP award to number 12 of the Green Bay Packers.
1: Listen, he's, he's certainly earned it. Like, it's – I just feel like, you know, Devontae Adams, if he wasn't if, – if he had, like, slightly better statistics, he's probably, like, a stone's throw away from, oh, like, offense Boy of the year conversation. Like, having that caliber of player and also having that – like, having all the resources there shouldn't overshadow just how good of a season he had, but – in my eyes, it kind of does. I don't know. It, it's it's tough to say because uh, it's such a tough award to pin this year. I feel like Kyler Murray's in the conversation a little bit, but he missed a lot of time just pushing the Cardinals that far, and the Cardinals kind of fell off down the stretch too. Uh, losing DeAndre Hopkins, I think, really threw a wrench into that. Uh, and beyond that, like there's not a lot. I'm shocked Joe Burrow hasn't gotten more pump in the conversation. Uh, Just from what he's been able to do, uh, yeah,
0: ten and seven, you know, yeah, amount of interceptions. It's it's close,
1: way ahead of schedule, schedule, way ahead of schedule. I'm just gonna keep saying that because it's it's. I'm still shocked the Bengals won the AFC North in the like. If you like, it's one of those things where like week 18, you take the time to reflect. If you told me week one that the Bengals would win the division, I, I understand the Ravens had some injuries coming into the season. But when we were previewing the season, we were talking about this lead up.
0: The Bengals were the last team on my mind to win this division. I don't disagree with that take. No, I, I, the one more thing I want to add to this MVP discussion is that there's a guy who we have not mentioned yet, who doesn't really merit it from the season he just had. But, boy, do I think these playoffs are shaping up well from a narrative standpoint for Patrick Mahomes because he's not going to win MVP. He had his worst season so far in the NFL. And, you know, you just said it. You don't think the Chiefs are good enough to go to the Super Bowl this year, even with him still a quarterback. Man, I think there's just a lot to prove for number 15 of the Kansas City Chiefs. And we haven't really seen that a lot so far. You know, he's been – kind of this untouchable golden boy for most of his career. And right now he's got some detractors. You know, I don't think anybody thinks that he's, you know, fallen off or or can't be the guy that he was, but it's a down year from a statistical perspective. And I just think he can erase it all with a few good games and, and go win himself a second title by the age of 27. So that's all I want to say. On the awards front, anything else for you to add about our lovely end of the season wrap up? The Mahomes thing, it's it's
1: crazy that this is still the quote-unquote worst season he's ever had, and it's still <laughs> like 4,800 yards, 37 touchdowns. It's just, a, it's just that crazy turnover like he had early in the season, uh, in luck as in the worst possible scenario to happen. Uh, no, I'm excited for this playoffs, man. This is going to be an absolute blast of the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to get some really good matchups and – Friday, Saturday, Sunday, going to be glued to my sofa and pumped for it.
0: It's going to be a phenomenal weekend. Um, I don't want to give people the wrong impression. It is, in fact, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that you should be watching these playoff football games, and we'll be watching right along with you. And then next week, right back here at the same time to give you all of our thoughts, opinions, feelings, and much more. Kale, phenomenal job this week. We went a little bit over our time, but I don't care. There were just too many things to talk about, and I'm excited that you were the guy that I get to talk about all these things about. Let's get a great playoff run in and go pats.
1: Listen, it's always fun pardon with you. Uh, I enjoy the fact that this has gone longer and longer every single week because <laughs> I think we just love
0: talking about this game too much. We had a lot to talk about this week. I'm giving us a pass we did. We did. and who knows, Maybe these episodes will be six hours in the future. Hopefully not, but we're going to continue to do what we think is right. And we're just thankful for all of those of you who are along for the ride with us. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think and hit that like button. If you are on a platform that does likes. Kale, great job this week. For you, I'm me. We'll see you next Tuesday.
1: I'm not need to i do not